Welcome to another episode of the Strictly Business Podcast, where we talk with some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Variety Co-Editor-in-Chief Andrew Wallenstein. I'm asked what I think about a wide range of ventures here in Hollywood, but none lately more so than something called Quibi. That's the new mobile video app in the works from two legends from media and tech circles, former Disney and DreamWorks animation chief Jeffrey Katzenberg and former Hewlett-Packard CEO Meg Whitman. My conversation with them was recorded from the stage of the Innovate Summit in Los Angeles on December 5th. I hope you enjoy. For those who have been under a rock this past year or so, Let's get the elevator pitch out on what you guys have been working on. Uh, talk about the state of Quibi. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having us this morning. We're delighted to be here. Um, so we are building the first entertainment platform f- built mobile only for quick bite, meaning short form, under 10 minutes, quick bite content made by Hollywood's top creators. And uh, we have really been in business. We raised our initial funding round, which we closed on July 31st. So we've been in business effectively since August 1st. And uh, we are commissioning content. We are building the tech platform. We are hiring people. I think today we're at uh, 48 people, up from five on August 1st. And um, we are super excited about the opportunity that lies ahead. The name is a contraction of Quick Bites, which is what we have called this content for a long period of time. And so it's a contraction of Quick Bites, and people seem to like Quibi. You know, it's memorable. It rolls off people's tongue. It, it says what we do. And uh, so we're, we're off and running, and we're excited about it. And what is the roadmap ahead? You guys are developing stuff. You had some uh, interesting projects that you're starting to announce. Uh, Jeffrey, what do, you, what do you see the next 12 months looking like for Quibi? Well, I think it's a... It's a lot of things, and and I, you know, I think Meg can expand on uh, uh, a good part of it. Um, but from a content standpoint, um, we have to achieve two essential things for this to be successful. One, which is, as we have discussed, um, raise the quality to an unprecedented level, in which, as Meg said, we bring the very best. Uh, quality, production, talent, financial resources um, to, um, uh, you know, what has been this world of, um, you know, pretty amazing work that's gone on on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, but we're, we're looking to do something at a pretty high level, and we can talk a little bit and give you a good analogy about that. But at the same time, we also have to achieve a phenomenal volume of content so just to put in perspective, once we go live, we will deliver in the first 12 months 5,000 quick bites. Wow. So it's a, it's a high bar. So on the content side, it's building the team out. Remember, we don't produce anything. We commission our content. We are a licensor of content from everybody in the production uh, Hollywood ecosystem, uh, you know, at the highest ends of it. Um, but at the same time, uh, we have to build um, a user experience um, in the way in which this unique content is consumed in an equally unique way. And so in the world of product, which is how people are actually going to experience and uh, be served up our content, Meg has put together a world-class engineering team and a product development team. And that bar for us is as essential and as high 
Um, so there's there's a lot of things to get on our to-do list. Do you guys at this point know when you're going to be in market? So either the last part of 2019 or the first quarter probably of 2020. And it just depends on what's going on in the marketplace and how ready we are. We have one chance to launch, and we need it to be as absolutely close to perfect as it can possibly be from a content perspective and engineering perspective. So we'll see. From it, the, the biggest challenge, and, and we know this right now, is the volume of content to, you know, to hit this quality that we want and the quantity. Um, it's a tall order to deliver that in the next 12 months, but that doesn't mean we're not going to try. Um, so we're giving ourselves a lot of flexibility where we're not going to get locked into something. As Meg said, when we come, we have to hit a home run. I think what people sometimes forget is this is the first um, platform that has ever been launched without a library. There's no library to buy because no one has done this quality content in this format. And so every bit of content has to be made de novo with our, uh, with our uh, partners. And it's the format question I want to dig into first because you guys are, are – it's not that short-form content doesn't exist, but you're doing it at a level that I don't think it's uh, existed at volume. So when you're out there talking to the creative community – how do you even pitch this? Are they even thinking in five, ten-minute bites? Well, here's a – I think I think that's where – and it's why we are trying to um, move ourselves into something where we're not in the short-form business. It's why we sort of are embracing this idea of quick bites, and let me try and put that into context. Um, for, for us, a lighthouse show is um, – uh, a two to three hour story that you can actually consume in bites that are under 10 minutes. Um, it, this is the convergence of two very tried, true, tested, and phenomenally successful existing forms of um, uh, uh, filmed media. So what does that mean? So for the beginning at the, the beginning of the 20th century, uh, we pioneered out on this path, our industry, and we made movies. And they quickly migrated into storytelling that is two to three hours in length. And that has uh, worked and continues to, this, to, this, to today to be a widely accepted form of narrative film storytelling. In the middle of the 20th century, television came along, and now we found a new form of narrative storytelling, which principally, not exclusively, but principally is in one-hour chunks and was uh, formed and formatted to fit into broadcast television. And so for 70 years, uh, many of the greatest talents and showrunners, creators, have been delivering their stories in chapters. We call them act breaks in this town. The first act of This Is Us is eight and a half minutes. There's then a break. And there are five of them. And then they deliver a 42-minute show. And it's not, you know, 41-40 one week and 42-10 the next week in it. It's to the second 42 minutes. And so this idea that we're contracting together these two tried, true, tested, you know, sciences, it's a, it's a, it's a proven science with a new application to it. The example, which I've given to you before and you've actually written about before, is what happened in publishing where Dan Brown, just, he was the one that just 
made the greatest impression on me. He's neither the first nor the only to do it. It's just the one that really, you know, landed for me is he wrote the Da Vinci Codes 464 pages long and the uh, has 105 chapters. The average chapter is less than five minutes. So I get it. By innovating in terms of the increments of content, you guys are going to do something that feels more conducive to the mobile experience as opposed to TV or film. But is it possible that what mobile is about is giving people the ability not to consume these new shorter increments, but to go through films and TVs at their own pace, stopping and starting at their own leisure? So I think one of the things to consider is, remember, Jeffrey said we are not a studio, so we don't make any of our own content. But the other thing people often forget is this is a very different use case. This is on-the-go viewing. So you leave your house every morning with a little TV in your pocket. It's called your smartphone. And during the day, think about it. You have these in-between moments, 10 minutes here, 5 minutes here, 15 minutes there, where you want to see something great. And whether it's waiting in line at Starbucks or waiting for a meeting to start or waiting for friends for lunch or at a doctor's office. And so it's a very different use case. And people are looking for things that are of a, you know, something that's really like a gem for that little moment in time. And again, Jeffrey said it. YouTube's done a fantastic job. It is the most democratized video platform in the world. But what we want to do is a little bit the analogy of what HBO did when they launched. HBO launched at the height of advertiser-supported TV. And remember what their tagline was? We're not, not TV. TV. We're HBO. And uh, so we're not short form, you know, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, we're Quibi. And so it will be that much of a step up in um, think of the quality four, and storytelling. And think of the four things that HBO did. They eliminated commercials. They freed the form and formats. They were not beholden to 3060, 1326. All right. So, so far, check those two boxes for us. Third is they were not beholden to standards and practices. So they could make – any content, you could have Sex in the City, you could have Sopranos, you could have The Wire in this. And third, they, brought, they spent uh, at, at a level of production that an ad-supported world simply could not compete with. So they ordered 10 episodes of Band of Brothers for $125 million. If you translate that to today, that's like $30 million an episode. So we check all of those four boxes when we say we're not short form, we're quibby. And so to bring that kind of quality of production and talent uh, to this, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I just think it is a, a singularly and, and, and unique experience to anything that's there today. But you guys are going to, you know, hopefully be the brand for the way this new format is known. What I'm wondering, though, is, is it less realistic to expect people to have a Quibi app on their phone for this kind of experience as opposed to fishing where the fish are, having Quibi live on the platforms where consumption is already taking place, going to the Facebook app, going to Snapchat, going to Instagram. Why go it alone via your own branded app? Because we want to – first of all, we think we can get the distribution and the go-to-market through our own content. I mean we are making content with incredible actors, actresses, directors, producers, and, and wonderful stories. Second, we will do distribution with some of the big telcos, whether it's a Verizon or an AT&T. But importantly, we're going to do something quite different with the tech platform here. I mean one of the things Jeffrey and I are trying to do is to bring the best of Silicon Valley together with the best of Hollywood. So Jeffrey said it, but the user experience, the search and find metaphor, the recommendation engine, how content looks on mobile needs to be completely 
upgraded and, and different. Today, I think, you know, listen, lots of people watch mobile on their video. In fact, they're watching over 60 minutes. Our target audience of 25 to 35-year-olds is watching about an hour a day. But it's not an optimized experience. Here's a great analogy for you. Think about what Apple and Samsung have done for photography on the mobile phone. It's remarkable. I mean, I take pictures. I feel like I'm a junior Annie Leibovitz. I mean, it's amazing how good those devices have made all of us look as photographers. We want to work to have video look that good on the mobile. And there's all kinds of challenges with that, as you can imagine. Right. But the thing that strikes me then is you have two massive challenges in the sense of You've got to ramp up this new content format format at both quantity and quality, and the experience of watching that content is something that you just described as being quite a challenge. You know, we're here at the Innovate Conference. We're talking about machine learning, artificial intelligence. Are you bringing those kind of technologies to bear here? Sure. So there's a couple things. One is, remember, we have to have a different search and find metaphor, and we have to have different personalization that exists today. I'll just give you a perfect example. As many of you know, it takes about eight minutes to find what you're looking for on Netflix. This cannot take eight minutes because the viewing window is 10 minutes. So we almost have to know what you want to watch before you know you want to watch it. And so... The good news is every piece of film that is on our platform is only there because we say it's there. It's highly curated, and everything will have a script. So think about we can apply meta tagging to every single frame, which allows behavioral analytics and AI to be much more accurate and predictive than it is if you are retrofitting lots of you know older movies or older TV shows. It's harder to actually meta tag to the level that we're going to do it. The second is we have to instrument this site. And this is one of the great joys of being a technologist. I get to build a a tech platform with no legacy, which, you know, if you've been in business for more than five years, you have a legacy tech platform. Maybe you have a legacy tech platform at Variety. I don't know. (laughs) And, uh, And so we will be able to instrument this where we have data on usage patterns, on watching, on what works, what doesn't. And we will be filtering that into our recommendation engine, our choice of what content to make and things like that. So this ought to be state-of-the-art from an AI, behavioral analytics, machine learning. But then let's go back to the art of it all. You know, you're both out there in the creative community talking to people. Uh, Do they get it? Do do you give them the vision of how 10-minute storytelling works or or has there just been this long-suppressed – uh, out there. I've been dying to tell this 10-minute story. Um, well, again, I'm going to keep coming back and saying to you, we're not asking people to tell 10-minute stories. Mm-hmm. We're actually asking them to tell two- to four-hour stories. In increments of 10. Okay, well, there's a huge difference in that. And, Sorry. And, I, and, I, and so the answer is, is that the challenge, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the opportunity to be pioneering and innovative – is something that has gotten people enthusiastic in our industry in a way that I have to say is kind of the wind beneath our wings right now. It's everybody wants to play. And I would say, when I say everybody wants to play, I mean, you look at the lineup of people. We've already announced, you know, Anton Fuqua, who's out there actually shooting tests for us right now. Um, we uh, have a new project, Catherine Hardwick. Um, you know, who, one of our Everyone. leading amazing directors, female directors today, she just committed to do a, uh, a, a new uh, project with us. Um, and I should make sure I say it all right here, which is How They Made Her, um, which was written by Jeff uh, Lieber and Charlie McDowell, McDonald, um, which is a really 
kind of fascinating story um, uh, around a uh, AI character, uh, a real thriller. And she is actually out now shooting some tests uh, for us as we speak. Um, uh, but everyone from Anton Fuqua to uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro to, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's just it's been a you know, there, there's so many names. Sam Raimi. Uh, it's it's a Lena Waite. Lena Waite is doing this. Everybody's excited. And by the way, they're all pioneering. It's like we're not giving them some tight little box and asking them to, you know, to produce. We're actually just giving them sort of guardrails right. and saying experiment, you know discover the path forward for us in it. And some insight about how these stories can be shot so it looks better on mobile. Right. So I, I don't, most of you probably have watched some things on your mobile, and it often looks quite dark, doesn't it? Well, that's because the actual shows need to be shot with more contrast to begin with, right? And then and when you're on mobile, you go from this environment, which is quite dark, to right outside in the lobby to outside on the sidewalk, and you're changing light environments, and it's, it becomes increasingly more difficult or easier to watch the video. So there's visual optimization that we need to be able to do. And, and one of the things that we've been able to do, we have a test of this, is you know when you go to, if you have Apple phones, you go to that brightness slider in your settings? Well, we now have moved that into the app where you can just use your fingers to nice. change the brightness while you are in app. So as you move from spot to spot, you're not exiting the app, going to right. settings, changing it and coming back. Which was not a problem that you carried your flat screen TV from here to the lobby to out on the street. No one had to worry about that. We do, yeah. you know, and so making that great. You know, the other thing that you talked about, uh, Andy, is, is um, you know, why not be in the environment you know, where the fish are. And the fact is where the fish are right now today, um, it, as Meg said, is a phenomenal, phenomenal environment, but it is an ocean. And the fact is, is that we, we need to find a, a place where it's a premium experience. And we have seen this occur in other businesses um, and other related businesses. Meg made the note, which is HBO, when television was at the height of it, free TV over the air at its height, HBO came along and you know launched a premium service. Um, Spotify, Spotify and Apple Music, six years ago, all music was available, 35 million titles. All you had to do was type in a title, and you could have any song that you wanted. Well, what did they do? They came along and they created playlists, recommendations, a set of features that suddenly made – music curation convenient and somebody did the work for us and by the end of this month six years 200 million people paying ten dollars a month for the exact same music that they had before we need to make information convenient which is a very big part of what we're doing we talk about the lighthouse all the time but the sort of second part of what we're doing is taking what is right now ubiquitously available information around video and curating it in a quality way and now making that convenient for people every day, which is why we are a day, we are a Monday through Friday, 8 in the morning till 6 o'clock or 8 o'clock at night. That's our use case. That's not where television – I would ask in this room, anybody in this room who has watched a hour episode of television – between 8 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock at night, and you watched it on this device, could you please raise your hand now? 
Andy has <laughs> one. I found there's one. Okay. Well, one. I'm not sure your boss will be really happy with you. <laughs> um, but so that. But you understand that's not where we watch quality uh, media today, and because we don't have an hour, mm-hmm. so there's not a single person in this room that doesn't have five or seven or ten minutes in the course of your day. Maybe five, maybe six, times. ten times a day. Sure. Particularly our target audience, our 25 to 35-year-old target audience, is on their mobile phone four to five hours a day. Interestingly, the average session length is about six and a half to seven minutes. Yeah. So think about how many times they're picking up, putting down their phone for relatively short bits of time. We want to fill some of that time. You know, you're getting backing from really the who's who of the, the Hollywood studios, the biggest companies. I'm curious – is there going to be much coordination with them in terms of the kinds of intellectual property that we could see show up in Quibi so that you're able to sort of leverage existing intellectual property that is on the NBCs, that is on the Disneys, that is on the Foxes? Or is this going to be just sort of a, a world of intellectual property unto itself? 100%. It, that is, 100% what? They are participating. Well – there are investors. There are partners. Right. The, as you, I mean, just to put this in perspective, this is the first time in the history of our industry in this town in which everybody, and I mean everybody, every single media company has come in and been an investor um, and helped start this business up and committed to make their talent and their IP available to help build out this platform and for them actually get paid great value for doing that. It's a two-way street here in this, which is we're not asking for charity from anybody. We're not asking for people to work for less or non-competitive. In fact, just the opposite. Our deal is actually one of the most attractive deals that anybody could work in in television or film today. Describe what makes it attractive. So um, we we pay 100% of the cost of our shows plus a 20% margin, so 120%. And if it's long form, up to $6 million an hour. So that's the top of scripted television today. There are literally not 10 shows out of 550 that spend more than $6 million an hour. Um, We have a license where that content for, in its short form, in its quick bites, is exclusive to us for seven years. At the end of seven years, it reverts to... The producer, the so they own the company, IP. They own the IP. You own it at the end of seven years. So one, it's going back to a model that worked in the '60s and '70s and '80s, where where producers, production companies, and creators own their content. Except we're give, delivering it back to them in a much shorter window. Second is is that after two years, you can take that content in its quick bites and uh, put it together. In long form, long form to us is defined by over 21 minutes. You own that and can monetize that after two years. So if somebody's made a two or three hour movie for us, which we've paid 120% of the cost of, where you can't take an episode of Game of Thrones and cut it up into six, 10 minute pieces, if you actually created it in six, 10 minute pieces, you actually can put it together and it's a seamless hour of content. Now, after two years, you own that. And you can now go sell that in the marketplace. And I believe we'll create one of the most powerful syndication markets that we've had since existed in television 
at the height of TV syndication, which was in the 80s and 90s. So the value for the studios and the creators is significant. And I get those attractive terms. I'm wondering, though, whether you guys are setting yourselves up for a long-term hangover seven years from now when a lot of your IP vanishes. We don't think so at all. And, and, and we've made a conscious decision here to partner and to make this the most attractive place for creators and studios to come work today so that we get the best. You get what you pay for in this town and everywhere else in life. And we're going to pay the best talent competitively, if not competitive plus. Our bet, what Meg and I are doing, our investors, is we're betting on the success of the platform. We are thrilled for the IP holders and creators to get full value out of that content. And by the way, it worked brilliantly in the 60s and 70s and 80s. You look at the alignment between broadcasters, which is before financial interest and syndication rules sunsetted, they weren't allowed to have a financial interest in their content. The studios never owned their content. By regulation, they were prohibited from doing that, right? And yet the studios got rich, the creators got rich, and the networks became blockbuster platforms in it. And so whether it was Happy Days or Laverne and Shirley or Hawaii 5.0 or Star Trek or on and on and on, you know, Simpsons hundreds of television shows – you know, were tremendous, tremendous successes. We want a return for that, and we think it will work, and we don't want to compete with our suppliers. I think what Jeffrey said is exactly right, that what we want to do is have the best content, the best artists, the best creators on the best platform with the best user experience and search and find metaphor, which therefore drives more subscribers and advertising, which therefore allows us to reinvest back in the core of what will make this platform great. And, and we want the creators to feel that this is an incredible deal. Why would they not want to do this? Maybe we should be the first choice of what they want. And our content, particularly our Lighthouse content, is going to get marketed by it because that's our subscriber acquisition. So every one of these Lighthouse series – and by the way, we, we release one every, every other Monday – Literally, every other Monday, 26 of them will be a lighthouse series. Every one of them, we have to market the way we would – I come from a world where we market the release of a movie because we have to make it that compelling. I grew up in an industry where there are two things that move the dial, fame and fortune. And here's the deal. If you have fame and you don't have fortune, you're not so happy. <laughs> And the reverse is true. You got fortune and you don't have fame, you're not so happy. Quibi is going to deliver both, fame and fortune, to people that come partner and work for us. Meg, you did not a really great tech platform. <laughs> you The best. You did not grow up in this industry. You yeah. grew up in the industry of building tech platforms. What has it been like dealing <laughs> with content and art and things that aren't so easily controlled? Well, we think engineers are artists as well. Oh, that's... <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree more. What is it? But, yeah. um, so listen, there um, there are enormous differences between Silicon Valley and Hollywood. Um, I lived here before I worked for Disney for four years. So I, I've lived in L.A. before. We have a number of friends here. Um, but it's an entirely different um, community. And I'll just give you my sort of executive summary of this in many ways is Silicon Valley is a, a community of left brain engineers who are highly linear, logical, data driven 
people. And this town, largely in the creative community, is right brain storytellers and um, in some ways embodied in Jeffrey and I. And, uh, and so, you know, merging those two is not for the faint of heart. And my view is that actually the two of us have got to do something that have never been done before, which is, you know, how do you have the most incredible user experience with the most amazing content in a way that the engineers and the creators don't kill each other? And, uh, and so far. Which, and we're the first test case of that, which is we've been in business for a year. Haven't we killed are, each other. We are complete opposites in every fashion, shape, or we laugh about it all the time in it, right? We, when we're a year, we haven't killed each other yet. So, and, you know, the, the, the power of opposites, it's if actually if they attract – it's you get one plus one equals 11. And that's what's happened for us because I know what I know and I know she knows what I don't know. And, and vice versa. I mean, we could not do this without Jeffrey, right? So, but it's been fascinating because I really am, I'm not an engineer by training, but I've been in technology for so long. I think like an engineer, I'm highly left brain, highly analytical, and Jeffrey is a right brain storyteller. And so often when we're, you know, arguing or deciding what we're going to do, you know, we come at things from completely different places. And when we are at our best, increasingly, the, the one plus one equals, you know, 10. And it's, it's quite powerful. She just demoted She discounted me. Well, that's, well, well, that's, 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 that's kind of what brain. I do. Brain. That's a left brain. She she discounts every. <laughs> it's a reality check. I'm sort of the warrior, and I'm the you know I don't know. Let's think about that. So there's the, there's there's the dreamer and the warrior, and that's a different yin yang altogether. Yeah, and the and the analyst, and you know, but it's it's actually a very powerful partnership and quite a bit of fun. I mean, Jeffrey and I've known each other for 30 years, and we worked together at Disney. I was on his board at DreamWorks when he took DWA public, and uh, then HP, where I was most recently, had a long-term technology deal. Our technology powered the DreamWorks studio, so we've known each other a long time. But you know, we had to sort of work it out because, like day to day, you know, it's. And, I mean, I talked to Jeffrey eight times a day. So, and and I will remind you, and again, we our partnership that we had at HP is emblematic of this. DreamWorks Animation was a technology and storytelling company. You know, we were in the state-of-the-art creation of digital imaging, um, and we couldn't do what we did without actually having the support, in this case, of HP and a couple of other uh, technology partners. And that's what took me to Silicon Valley. And, you know, DreamWorks Animation had a studio, you know, down the street from Meg with 800 people at it, and we called our engineers artists at DreamWorks. Always did. Well, I hope the two of you going to 2019 keep this. Not as much as we do. (laughs) (laughs) Keep this going. Uh, Best of luck and keep us posted on all things Quibi. We will. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. 